Um, right, we're going to talk. We, we've been doing a series called, well, we're just starting a new series called Being with Jesus. And uh, Paul's been sharing with us for the last couple of weeks about prayer and, and really sort of, I don't know, I guess trying to demystify some of the sort of mystery around prayer. And we want to kind of demystify some of the mystery around being with Jesus, what it is just to be his friend. And so over the summer, we're going to talk about what it is to have a quiet time with him, spending time with him, what it is to read the Bible, um, to have a Sabbath and to pursue his presence. And this morning, um, I'm going to talk about um, spending time with Jesus, what it is to spend time with God. Now, I've been brought up in the church. Some of you will have, some of you won't have. And pretty much all my life, I can remember being taught the phrase quiet time. Have you had a quiet time? Have you had your quiet time? And I remember not really being sure what that was, except that you probably had to be quiet. Um, and um, I, I remember spending quite a lot of my child and teenage life, and even my early adult life, sort of feeling quite guilty because I'm not the kind of guy who can, who can be very disciplined. Well, I actually can't. I'm not very disciplined. I did the same thing two days running in any walk of life. I'm just not the disciplined kind of guy. Um, and I spent much of my life feeling guilty because one of my best mates was brilliantly disciplined. I mean, he's a doctor. He had to be disciplined. He had about 500 exams to pass in his life. And he was really good at just sitting down and being methodical and being quiet. And I thought, because I wasn't, that I was somehow a lesser value to God. I discovered that's not true, actually. Um, we've spent this morning, as we've been worshipping together, just enjoying what I would call the presence of God. Just that sense of recognition that God is with us. Um, for me, that's what I'd call a quiet time. Just acknowledging that I'm here and God's here and that we're together. And some people think that you can only get that if you come to church on Sunday morning. And it's just not true. We can get that any time. We don't often, some of us, but we could. And so what we're going to do today is just look a little bit practically about what it is to spend time with God. And if you're here and you wouldn't actually call yourself a believer in God, a Christian this morning, or if you're someone who's just perhaps not that interested in uh, on what this is, well, first of all, you're very welcome to be here. Everyone's welcome to be here, whatever you believe. Um, I hope there are things in this talk that are helpful for you as well. We all need some kind of space in our lives. We all need to kind of think about our priorities and focus a bit. And I hope it helps you also understand more about the nature of having a relationship with God. Because some people think that God is more like a headmaster than a father. And if you're a sort of person who thinks, well, I need to, you know, tick a box and get to, get to the end of a list of rules and make sure I keep my targets, then you're probably thinking of God more of a headmaster dictator than the father that he really is. So I'm just going to answer five questions this morning. Uh, why? Hello? Can you move the thing on for me? It doesn't appear to be working today. Or maybe it's because the uh, owner of R604. Okay, everyone close your eyes and put your heads down. <laughs> and uh, somebody, can, uh, somebody can go move their car. Uh, will that move? I'm going to answer five questions this morning. Um, I'm going to answer the questions why, who, when, where, and how? Why is it important to spend time with God? Well, I've kind of just answered this already, but the, the reason is because we are relational. 
And the nature of our relationship with God is a friendship. This is not a dictatorship. We are not slaves or servants. This isn't something we have to do. This is something we are invited to do. If you think of God as a dictator or a headmaster, you're going to have a really tough time. And, and you know, actually, many of us, for all sorts of bonkers reasons, do think of God like that. And, and it's, just, it's just wrong. Okay, as I said to you, when I was growing up, I had this kind of thing. You must have a quiet time. You must spend some time with God. I would feel guilty if I didn't. Jesus doesn't say it. Jesus says in John 15, I don't call you to be servants. I call you to be friends. He invites us into a relationship with him. And all relationships, whatever kind of relationship, they all need time. They all need investment and they all need context. You know, when you're friends with somebody, you can't do that without a context and some time to be together. Sometimes friendships change. You know, we're watching our children grow up, and they have different friendship groups and relational groups, and you can see gradually how they'll spend more time with one person and less time with another, and you see how their friendships change. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a a less good thing. Depends who the friends are, I suppose. But um, all relationships need a context. They all need time. They all need investment. We have some friends... Uh, family friends back in Birmingham. And when we moved, we used to see them a lot. And when we moved down here, we realized that if we were going to continue to be friends with them, we would have to do our friendship a bit differently because we were now living two hours apart, as apart from 25 minutes down the road, you know. And we couldn't just pop over just when we wanted to. And so we had to, we had to make the effort and make the investment, you know, to say, actually, we're going to spend time together because we love you and we value you. And healthy relationships need that kind of context. Otherwise, they just don't grow. And, uh, and so we did. Now we see our friends probably three times a year in the school holidays. And we always make a point of having a day together or a couple of days together because we really love and value those people. We want to spend time with them. And healthy relationships aren't just one way. They're two-way. Healthy relationships are not one-sided or codependent. Healthy relationships. If you want a friend, you need a bit of honesty and a bit of reality and a bit of vulnerability. It's important to talk and listen at a deep level, and that takes time. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. There are, there's, a, there's a sort of thing. It's called the five levels of communication. Forgive the uh, Microsoft stick men on the, uh, on the thing here. That was the best diagram I could find without coming up with my own. Um, have you heard this before? There are, there are kind of, broadly speaking, five levels of communication that we have with people. And the first one is cliches. All right, how are you? Fine, thanks. Good. You know? Um, moving on to sort of telling facts. Did you know um, it's raining outside? <laughs> Isn't it a nice day today? <laughs> you know, all of that. Moving on to sharing opinions. Moving on to sharing feelings. Moving on to complete openness. Now, of course... You know, you're not going to get to level five communication when you first meet somebody. And maybe it's not even appropriate to do that. But it is important if we're going to have real meaningful friendships to actually talk to people and share our feelings. For some of us, that's easy to do. And for some of us, honestly, that's a challenge. Some of us are wondering why we don't really have any close friends. Perhaps it's because we're not able to be that open. That isn't really what this talk's about. But it's important because when it comes to having a friendship with God, we need to be kind of doing the same thing. We need to be sharing 
our feelings with him. We need to be making time to process the thoughts and feelings that we've got. It's the same for relationships with one another. It's the same for relationships with God. So that's the why. What about the who? Well, Jesus left us a brilliant example. And uh, I can think of no better person than Jesus to follow as an example for how to relate to God. And you can read a verse like this. There are various verses throughout the Gospels that tell us about Jesus. But this is one of them in Luke 5.16. And it just says very simply, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. There are three different places that I found just quickly uh, where it said something along these lines, that Jesus took himself away from the crowd. He took himself away from the hubbub. And he spent time just on his own with God. The first one was in, well, they're not necessarily in a particular order. In Luke 6, it tells us that before he chose his apostles, Jesus went away to pray. In Mark chapter 1, it tells us that early in the morning, Jesus got up before everybody else and took himself off to be quiet and spend time with God. Even right towards the end of his life on earth, it says when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to go through a really tough time, Jesus took himself off on his own, to pray. And I kind of want us to look at a little story. And if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible or you've got your Bible on a phone or something, just turn it up. And we're not going to read the whole story. It's a quite a well-known little passage, but I just want to pick out two or three different, um, two or three different bits from it. Um, <clears throat> if you look in Matthew chapter 14 at the beginning... It says that uh, it's called the, the first section of it is called the death of John the Baptist. OK, that's not the story we're going to read. But John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin. And uh, tragically, um, the king, King Herod, um, basically got himself into a right old mess and uh, was manipulated by his wife, his slightly evil wife. It sounds like a comic, doesn't it? Um, and had John the Baptist killed. And if you look towards the end of uh, that first section, around verse uh, 11, verse 10, he had John the Baptist beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a plate and given to the girl. And verse 12, his disciples, John's disciples, came and took the body and buried it and went to tell Jesus. And the bit I want to pick up the story is what Jesus does next. So Jesus has just received some really bad news. His cousin, John the Baptist, has just been killed. By Herod. He's had his head chopped off and he's died. And it says in verse 13 when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the town. So, Jesus, the first thing he does on hearing bad news is take himself off on his own, presumably to process and to pray. He takes himself off on his own. Unfortunately, he was followed. And the crowds follow him. It says when they followed him, they followed him on foot. The way I learned this story when I was a kid in Sunday school was he got in a boat and went off across the lake and the crowds walked all the way around and followed him. I mean, I, I've been there to the Lake of Galilee. It's a big old lake. So that's, you know, that's not a short walk. It's not particularly a short boat trip. Um, but anyway, so you can imagine Jesus is there and he's trying to be quiet and he's trying to spend some time with his father and everyone's coming in to, to crowd in on him. 
And so what does he do? Does he get cross? No, he doesn't get cross. This is where Jesus is amazing because he says, oh, okay. When he went ashore, he saw this great crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. He went into ministry mode. He had compassion, genuinely, I think. And he thought, you know what? I'll put my own grief and my own processing to the side and I'll deal with the, 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 the things that are in front of me, the needs that are in front of me. Um, he had built somehow some margin into his life a buffer into his life so that he was able to continue with the things he was able to do. And then you read this great story about how he teaches the crowd and then this whole story about how he feeds 5,000 people, a complete miracle. It's obviously gone on all the way through the day. It's late in the day. The crowd are hungry. And there's this whole incredible story about how he takes one loaf, two, what is it? Five loaves and two fish. And, uh, and it, sort of multiplies and becomes food for everybody. And everybody's happy. Jesus meets the needs of all the people that day. He really gives out of himself. And then you get to verse 22. And it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So he sends his disciples off on the boat. He sends the crowd home. And after he had dismissed the crowds, He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Then there's a whole other story about how he walks on water. Incredible. But the point I want to pick out is that he'd planned margin into his life. And he wasn't religious about his quiet time. He just knew he needed it. Okay, I can't have a quiet time now. There are some things I need to attend to. I'll just have a quiet time later instead. I'll just make sure that I'm prioritizing to spend some time with my father. I think Jesus knew that he needed time with his father, God, in order that he would continue to invest in this really important relationship. Relationships don't always happen at the time that we want them to happen. We have teenagers. And all the wisdom that I've been told is that teenagers want to talk to you in the most inconvenient times. And they don't want to talk to you at your convenient times. So I'm learning that at 11 o'clock at night is a really good time for a deep and meaningful conversation with my son, which is when I really want to go to bed. (laughs) But it's worth it because the relationship's so important. It's so important. And Jesus made sure that he had a quality time investment with his father. Now, let me make one thing clear. This wasn't the only time that God was with him. God was with him all the time. And when Jesus was ministering, Clearly, God's power was with him. Clearly, he was in touch with the Father all the time, talking about what they're doing, talking about stuff, always interacting. Often he would pray. He would pray out in God's name. He would be in a crowd. He would pray for a miracle. Something would happen. Clearly, God was with him all the time. There was one uh, story early in Jesus' life at his baptism when God just showed up, literally speaking an audible voice. This is my son, whom I am well pleased with. I threatened to do that to my son sometimes, but he's not interested. I said, oh, we're coming to your school prize giving. If you like, I'll get up in front of everybody and say, that's my son, and I'm really proud of him. And my son says, if you do that, I'll never talk to you again. (laughs) Um, I don't think he wants that kind of public attention. but, But on this occasion, God made it really clear. So he's always there. These quiet times aren't the only times when he's connecting with God, but they are really, really important. Because it's time away from the crowd, time without an agenda, time for just relationship and talking and honesty and just being sometimes. 
It's really necessary to connect with God on that level. Have you ever been out in a group and you just really wanted to talk to one person because you really like that person and you want to spend some time with them, but you know, politeness says that you can't sort of do that. It's a bit exclusive. Almost, it's almost like that where Jesus is saying, I, just, I, I, I love you guys and I've had a great time, but now I'm going to be with my father. And just put a little boundary around that time. You know, we, we teach our kids when they're out. We t- actually, we do the opposite with our kids as they're growing up. We say, stay in a group and don't have exclusive relationships. Because what happens when you have an exclusive relationship is that you build an intimacy between you. And sometimes that's not a great idea. Because it's kind of a false intimacy because it's, it's not something you planned. It's just happening. And we try and teach them. I remember when I first started dating Joe, um, I remember my pastor having a word with me and saying, don't pray together. And I think, sorry, what? And he's like, don't pray together. Don't share too much too soon. Guard your heart. Don't go too deep too quickly. You want to allow your relationship to grow naturally. It's all about those levels of communication, you know, and going, going through the stages. And we teach our kids, you know, we, we, we're very clear. Don't, don't do that. Don't spend a lot of one-to-one time with any person, whoever they are, because it's not advisable, it's not wise to go so in-depth at such a young age. Do you get what I'm saying? Because when you spend time with somebody, an intimacy grows. The flip side of that is time alone equals intimacy. And when we're older, and perhaps when we're not, and we need time with people and we need time with God, it's the time alone that, that makes that happen. So when? When and how often and where? When and where? Okay, I've got to my next question. When? Do we make time to be with God? When did Jesus make time to be with God? What did that, what did that verse say? It said, what was it? I've got it written down somewhere here. Oh, I can't read that. It said, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When did he make time? Often. He often made time. To be with God. What does often mean? What does often mean for you? Often might mean different things to different people. Maybe it's every hour or every day or every week. And my question really, my advice is, what's sustainable and what's realistic? What do we need for this relationship? You know, you have different relationships with different people. Okay? The Bible doesn't say you shall have a quiet time and you shall spend 30 minutes every day with God. For some people, 30 minutes might be 30 minutes. Is that all? And other people might be 30 minutes a day. That's a dream. You know, we're in different seasons. And when you're in different seasons of life, we have different rhythms. If you've got small children, you'll know that three minutes on your own is a blessing. You know, they have all these physical needs. If your parents are bigger children, you'll know that they have these emotional needs and keep you up till all hours of the night, as I was just describing. If you're working, you know, you might be working a busy job. You might be early and late and commuting and All sorts. Relationships change, seasons change, life stages change, and therefore the the nature of what time we spend together will change and we'll have to grow in a season. So I used to share a house with a guy. We used to sit up and chat every night. When he got married, I said, how come we don't sit up and chat every night? He went, I've got married now. (laughs) I'm not even living in the same house. Our relationship had to change, you know? We had some other friends, and we, were, we used to go out and hang out with them all the time, go to the pub, and, and then they, 
had a baby. And they're like, well, why can't you come out to the pub now? And they said, well, because we have a child. We said, okay, we'll get a Chinese. We'll come down to your house instead. We'll, we'll change the nature of our relationship, but we still want to invest in the relationship. And so I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all, this is how you should spend time with God. But Jesus' example is he did it often. So what does often mean for you? A healthy friendship will continue to grow through all different life stages. We just need to find the right pattern and the right context. And maybe, you know, maybe you're struggling with your time with God. Maybe your relationship with God isn't as good as it could, have, it could be. And maybe the reason is that you haven't adapted your, the time you spend with him to the season that you're in. Maybe you're hankering after the past about when you used to have hours and hours to talk to God and be with him, and now you only have a few minutes because of all the stuff in life. That's okay. God isn't saying, he's not saying, I just wish you'd give me those hours back and never mind all this stuff you're doing. He's just saying, hey, just come be with me. It's just an invitation. So what is God saying for this season? So that's the, that's the when. And what about the where? What did it say? It said Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Often withdrew to lonely places. How did he achieve that practically? How did he do that? In Jesus' case, he went to places where the crowds weren't. He went to places where his disciples weren't. I get no impression from reading the Bible that Jesus was a total introvert who wanted to stay away from people. I don't get that impression from him. He's not that kind of guy. He was very happy to be with people. He was very comfortable in parties. But it, he also was very intentional about the way that he took himself off. So how did he achieve it? He went up a mountain. He got up before everyone else. He sent his disciples on ahead. What does withdrawing to lonely places look like for us in our life stage? I don't know of any mountains that I can just go and climb, although I have been known to go up St. Catherine's Hill every now and then if I really want to just be quiet and peaceful and have a nice view and take my mind to a different place. There's the challenge of work, isn't there? There's the challenge of work-life balance. There's the challenge of family and friends. I think probably in our day and age, the biggest challenge is around our connectedness and our online life, our digital life. You know, many of you, not all of you, admittedly, but many of you will have some kind of engagement with social media and with the internet and with mobile internet and smartphones. And the challenge, certainly for me, the biggest challenge is switching off, putting the phone away, not connecting with digital stuff, withdrawing digitally to a lonely place rather than necessarily physically. Does that make sense to you? We have a family rule that in our family, we try very hard to stick to it. It's no phones at the table during mealtimes. It's a very simple rule because when we're engaging with each other around the meal table, we're just trying very hard to engage with each other, you know, and I don't want the friends and, family, uh, friends and community of my children around the dinner table with me. They're welcome into our house at other times, but I don't want them at our dinner table when they're not invited. <laughs> you know, I just want our family because that's important. You know, we don't want the distractions. I also, and this is just a personal pet, pet, pet frustration of mine, but I, and some, some people, so if, if this is you, I'm sorry, but some people, you know, I can be talking in a one-to-one with them and they'll receive a phone call and they'll just say, oh, excuse me, and they'll just take the phone call. Does that ever happen to you? It does my head in. 
If you ever do that to me, hopefully I've been polite to you and kind. But I actually, I'm thinking, you know, I heard this phrase once, wherever you are, be there. You know, I mean, okay, it might be a really important phone call. Sometimes I say, do you know what, I'm, I'm sitting with you and I'm really sorry. I'm expecting a call about such and such. I may need to take a call. But when there's nothing like that and someone just, oh, hello, especially if it's just a friend and they're just chatting on. I'm like, hello, excuse me. Which relationship is important here? Turn your phone off. Anyway, enough said. <laughs> Can anybody else relate to this or is it just me? If it's just me, I'll go to some sort of support group for, um, for people. Especially if it's a one-to-one. I mean, if you're in a group conversation, you know, maybe you can... Sorry, I'm on to... No, I won't go there. <laughs> Let's not go there. I heard a great rule about the England rugby team that won the World Cup. And they had a whole load of teamship rules. But one of the rules that they collectively decided together was... Because these professional athletes, they're only together like... 40, 50 days a year training and stuff. And, and when they, together, they had all these kind of rules about what they were going to do. And one of the rules was nobody was going to take any phone calls when they were together as a team. They could only take phone calls privately in their room. Because they didn't want to kind of disrupt the team vibe. I really liked that idea. I thought it was a great idea. Anyway, switching off my phone for me, turning off social media, choosing not to engage with it, at certain times in the day, helps me to think better, process more, listen better to God, and connect better with God and other people. And conversely, kind of constantly staying connected, for me, is just a distraction. What did you do the last thing before you went to sleep last night or the first thing when you got up this morning? I wonder if it was checking our phones or our social media accounts. Now, I'm going to give you this second hand because uh, we were at a conference this week, and Chris told me this. He heard a speaker saying this. I might have got this slightly wrong, but this is the bones of what he told me. We are wired to exist in two worlds. We are wired up to exist in our earthly here and now, you know, you and me in this space together, and also in our spirit, heavenly kingdom connection with God world. Yes? We can quite comfortably exist in both those worlds at the same time, right? Which is why it's so easy for us to also exist in two different worlds, our here and now world and our digital online world, which is truthfully the, the world that most people exist in when they're not in this one. And we can, that sits with us quite comfortably, most of us as human beings. Why is that? It's because we've been designed to exist in two worlds. It's just that for many of us, we're replacing the one that we need to be in with the one that's just kind of there and convenient. Now, hear me wrong. Hear me right. I'm not dissing the internet. I'm not dissing phones and social media. There's some fantastic tools out there, and I, as much as anybody, use them. I'm just really aware that, for me, withdrawing to lonely places, as Jesus did, probably means switching off and walking away from those distractions. Because, for me, they are the biggest things at the moment in my life that will tempt me away from spending time with God. Is it the same for you? Can any, is that, does anybody agree with you? You just have to nod. You don't have to, you know, thank you. All right. Can I get an amen? No, no, no. I'm just. <laughs> we were designed to do that. I read about this thing. Have you heard of this? Have you heard of FOMO? The fear of missing out. This was a phrase that was coined in 2004. Okay. Let me read you a few, few sentences from Wikipedia about FOMO. Fear of missing out or FOMO is a pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which I am absent. Can anybody relate to anything like this? Fear of missing out refers to the apprehension that one is either not in the know 
or is out of touch with some social event, experience or interaction. People who grapple with FOMO might not know exactly what they are missing, but can still hold a fear that others are having a much better time and much more rewarding experiences than they are. There was a UK and US survey about FOMO, about fear of missing out. Around half the respondents stated that they are overwhelmed by the amount of information that allows them to stay up to date, and it's almost impossible not to miss out on something. Half of the people responded saying, we're always missing out on stuff. And that I'm, I'm overwhelmed by all the information that's coming to me. The majority of adult millennials, that means people between roughly now 18 and 34, stated that they want to say yes to everything due to the fear of missing out. FOMO serves as a motive for increasing use of social media, which distracts people from learning in the classroom, from operating motor vehicles. For instance, it's common to find people texting while driving. And it's stupid and they've made it illegal. But you can understand why people are like, I can't miss out, I need to text my friend now. FOMO leads to unhealthy digital habits, such as constantly checking emails and social media updates. And it leads to people, when, it, when this develops, this FOMO, it leads to people having insufficient engagement in the present world, in present social interactions. It may drive someone to constantly look for a better or more interesting connection with others, abandoning the current connections now to do so. You know that phone thing we were just talking about? Oh, I'm enjoying this conversation with you, but there might be somebody better on the other end of this line. You know? Without realizing that what they're moving to do is not necessarily better, just different. FOMO also plays a negative role in people's overall... Just as a surprise, I'm not sure not surprised to read this. Plays a negative role in people's overall psychological well-being. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America have given three pieces of advice for how to get over your FOMO. One, admit you have a problem. Two, switch off the chatter. And three, practice mindfulness. This is not a Christian thing. This is just a how to deal with your FOMO. So admit you have a problem. The first thing is to come to terms with the fact that we're not omnipotent. We are not able to be everywhere all the time. And the world, you know, we existed quite happily in the world before the use of internet. We just lived in the moment. And the second thing is switch off the chatter. When I was a kid, uh, we used to watch this TV program and it was only on in the holidays and it was called Why Don't You? You remember it? And it went, why don't you? Why don't you? And it was basically things to do, interesting things to do. Why don't you just switch off your television set and go home and do something less boring instead? Because when I was a kid, just to watch telly all day was seen as really boring. I mean, watching telly all day now is nothing compared to, you know, being engaged. And my kids have two screens sometimes going on at the same time, and they're interacting with one, and they're listening to another, and, you know, you know? I see some smiles going around. I see some nods of, you know, and practice mindfulness. In other words, living in the real world, celebrating the, in quotes, mundane. I think that sounds like really good advice. Really good advice for withdrawing to lonely places in the way that Jesus did so that we can spend some time with our Father. And like I said to you last week, we had a very short talk last week because it was an all-age service. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. God is always speaking. There is always something that he wants to say. The question is not, is he speaking? The question is, are we hearing? 
Or are we just too distracted with everything else that's going on in our world and we're not able to hear what God is saying? If you have got a challenge in your life, if you have got a particular issue that you are trying to think through, my latest one, having been to a camping site for the week, is am I going to buy a caravan or not? Okay, but <laughs> My kids like, so I, I met somebody and they said, we're selling our caravan. I was like, great, how much? <laughs> and now I've come home, my kids go, Dad, are you going to buy a caravan? I said, honestly, I don't know. I haven't had time to think about it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to ask the Lord. Firstly, if I've got the money, and two, if it's the right thing to do. So you can ask me next week if we've decided. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But, um, but the point is, I knew, as I'm, the kids are going, so what's going to, are we going to do this, are we going to do this? And I'm saying, I don't know. I haven't had the headspace to stop and think and pray and just ask the Lord if it's a good idea or it's just my crazy idea, you know? That's just me being honest with you. My wife's laughing at me. <laughs> she thinks, I don't know, what, we haven't even talked about it. So anyway, um, <laughs> Yeah, she's texting me. <laughs> Stop now. <laughs> Don't keep digging a hole. So Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. He turned off the chatter and he spent time. How? The last, my last point, how? How do we do this? Well, we're all different. And as you've heard me say, I'm, I'm in no way suggesting that this whole, you know, spending time with God thing is something that I've really cracked myself. I really haven't. But for what it's worth, here are some of the ways that I make time to be with God. Now, these are my ways, and they suit my personality and my character. You might have different ones. I go for a walk sometimes. I quite often don't do quiet. I quite often do real um, gentle, instrumental, or just chilled background music because it helps me actually relax. Now, some people need real quiet, and there's a discipline of just being quiet as well. But I find it puts me in the right space, but then I'm just a music guy. I listen to Bible online or audio. I listen to listen to the Bible being read. I read the Bible. I read the Bible on an app sometimes. Sometimes I just sit and be quiet and try. I've never been on a, on a mindfulness course. I know, um, where are you? Steve and Jeanette taught one. Where are you? You're there. A brilliant mindfulness course. I think it's happening again in the autumn, is it? October, yeah. So there you go. Book onto a mindfulness course. Uh, Christian mindfulness, brilliant. Just helps you really focus the mind. I've not done that, but I've sort of tried one or two things myself. Just spend time resting and sleeping. I journal a lot. I write in a book because I'm the kind of guy who needs to do stuff and it helps me process my thoughts. And my reasoning for it is if I write down my prayer, then it's always there for God to read. Okay? <laughs> I take myself for... What are you laughing at? I'm like, if I say it once, I kind of, then I have a doubt whether he's actually heard me or not. I thought, oh, do I need to say that again? Or do I need to say that again? If, if I write it down, then he can read it any time he likes. Um, go to a retreat centre or a monastery. or you know, There are places around here where you can go for a day, for a quiet day. It's not expensive. I went to one the other day in Portsmouth. It cost a fiver. They just give you a room, and if you want to go and join in with the nuns and pray, you can. You don't have to, though. Um, I think if you pay in the tenor, they might even give you lunch or something. But, you know, there are, there are people around, there are places around where you can just go and spend a quiet day with God or on your own. And then I did a talk last year called Pathways. It's, I checked this morning and it's still on the website. If you want to look it up, it was on the 4th of September 2016. And it was all about recognizing the different ways that different people connect with God, the different pathways that we use. Relational, intellectual, relational pathway, you know, you just like being with people. Intellectual, you just like reading and studying. Or maybe you're a serving type of person. The best way you connect with God is just by hospitality and 
serving people. Maybe it's a contemplative pathway where you just like to sit and contemplate. Maybe you're an activist and you like to get cracking and doing stuff. However you relate to God, whether it's through creation or through worship, however you do that, be intentional, plan it in and do it. And lastly, this verse from Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 6, sorry, Matthew chapter 6. He's teaching, this is the bit that leads into the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Oh, how they love to, I've missed that bit, haven't I? How they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners. You know, the, the, the religious people would pray in front of everybody, their best religious prayers so that everybody could hear them. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Connecting with God isn't anything like that. He says, when you pray, you go into your room and you close the door and you pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, go into your room or go to your place, wherever it is that you find. But this is the bit I love. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. You don't need to be like them because your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when Paul was sharing, and he drew that triangle and he said, you know what, we think that we want to go and present our request to God, but the first thing we need to do is hear what God is saying because he already knows what's going on with us. So when we go to God, um, you can look this up on the website too. It's a brilliant little triangle that Paul drew. And he says, it's like you wait for God to, you want to hear what he wants to say and then you pray back to him the things that he wants to say. So it's about finding space. It's about taking yourself away. It's about withdrawing, but then it's about not babbling and waffling. Or another, another translation says, don't heap up empty phrases. Your father knows what you need. He just wants to be with you. And I'd finish with this last, um, with this last um, example, and st- which is just about me. That's not me, by the way. I'm not pretending it is. I was, funnily enough, I was, I was sitting with my youngest son this morning, just finishing off these slides, and I said, I'm looking for a photo of a family, and he chose that one, and I thought, oh, okay, whatever. Um, When I'm with my kids, this is me as a dad, I'm not a perfect dad in any way, but when I'm with my kids, the most important thing is that I'm with my kids. You know, sometimes I say to them, hey, come and hang out with me. Sometimes they just say, dad, can I come and be with you? Sometimes they pull in close. Now, often they come and they want something. Dad, can I have a, dad, what should, you know, and I go, well, maybe we'll talk about that. But for me, the most important thing is, I mean, I love to meet their needs if I can and if it's the right thing to do. But for me, the most important thing is the, is the relationship. I've spoken to two or three different, I met with a few different people at this camp we went on this week. And I spoke to two different people and both of them were saying, I'm in a season of my life where I think God is speaking to me about some sort of change, but I don't know what it is. And I said to them, when, when, I, when that happens to me, I just think it's the Lord's invitation to come in a bit closer. You don't have to try hard to hear what God's saying. Because when I'm with my kids, the most important thing is the journey, not the destination. I mean, you know, if there's a destination, we'll get there. But if we're having fun on the way, guess what? We'll walk around the block again. Because it's about the time that we spend together, not about us getting to the place we need to get to as quick as we can. And if it was, then they'd be using me and our relationship would be a bit one-sided. As it is, we've got a friendship a healthy friendship. Do you get me? And so this is really just about an invitation to come and spend time with a a father who wants to be in relationship with us. That's all it is.
Why don't we stand together? Jonah, Sam, worship guys, why don't you come back? So why don't we just pause and reflect on that? What is the thing that God's talking to you about today? It might be just realising again that the Father wants you to spend time with him. He's the one who's inviting you. He's the one who wants to draw you close. Or perhaps today you feel particularly challenged about the your head being in the digital space and God's just talking to you about finding times to switch off. So as the band play, why don't we just spend a moment? You might want to close your eyes. You might want to put your hands out and say, God, just come and speak to me in this moment. There's nothing magic about doing that, but it just it's a posture. It's a way of using your body to show that you want to receive from him. And we're going to have a chance to respond if you'd like to. So, Father, we ask that now you would help us to be more present in your presence. We know that you're here. And help us now to be present with you.